right, man, I tell you what, this is the, that's, that's what I miss. That's what I miss in, in COVID was getting together and singing the truths of God's word with other believers. Like, I know I got a great voice, but um, me in the shower just doesn't cut it. I love hearing the, 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 just the family of God singing. So, guys, welcome back. Uh, we're excited that we're uh, back live if you're uh, joining us online, thanks for joining us. We're in the chapel, not the venue. Uh, got a little construction project going on over there, so it's good to be, good to be here. Um, guys, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in two scriptures mainly tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 2 Corinthians 10. So maybe get to one and keep your thumb in the other. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 10. And so as you get there, let me just start by saying this. I'm going to make a statement. You may disagree with it, but I don't care. Uh, maybe the greatest piece of cinema ever created is a miniseries called Band of Brothers. All right? Here's, okay, yeah, I, I agree. Um, it is a story. Um, it, was, it came out in like 2000, I believe. Um, it's a story of Easy Company and their journey through World War II. And so you follow the same group of men from basic training and there's 10 episodes, hour long, and you walk them through all the way till the end of World War II. Now, I'm a big World War II buff. I love watching World War II stuff. Uh, World War I, you know, nine, uh, 1917 was awesome, but World War II, it's just fascinating the way that it all worked out. And one of the reasons I love this, this uh, miniseries is because not only do you get to know the men and the real stories of how uh, World War II was won, but you get to see the intricate strategies and tactics that were used. Because it's, what you learn is it's not just who has the biggest guns, it's who has the greatest mind that's taking on the battle. And so I love the story. I love the, story. the, the characters, I love everything about it. The, the idiots in the story and the heroes in the story. Um, it's just a fantastic deal. And the reason I share that with you um, is because tonight we're going to talk about having the mind of Christ. And that it's not just that we go to church. It's not just that we are in a small group. It's not just that maybe I, I've been going to church my whole life. It, it's, not, it's not just the big guns of Christianity, but it's the, the tactical things, the mind of our faith that will guide us each and every day. Because at the end of the day, when we think about our minds, and when you look at Scripture, more often than not, when you look up the word mind or thought or think, the text wrapped around that word has a battle or a warfare kind of verbiage. For instance, in Romans 7, 23, Paul's writing, and he says, it's right after this famous like back and forth. He's, I mean, he is, he's grinding. He's like, why do I do the very things I do not want to do? The things I want to do, I do not do. And the things I want to do, I end up not doing. And this is what he says in 7, verse 23, or starting in 21. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature I'm a, sin, I'm a slave uh, to sin. And so what Paul's describing here is I think what we feel a lot. And we see it in our culture today. There is a war being waged for our minds. We think it should be done this way, but we go this way. Like this is the whole conversation wrapped around temptation. Like, I know what I should do, but I am tempted to do what I should not do. Right? That's what Paul is saying. Like, what, why can I not do this? He says, because there is a war being waged within him. And so with us. Because at the end of the day, whatever gets your mind gets you. Let's be real tonight. Whatever gets your mind gets you. The scary thing is when something gets us and we don't know it. When there's a blind spot. When there's a, uh, a gradual drift and we're unaware. Because whatever gets your mind gets you. So I want to start out with a question, and we'll come back to it later. What's got you? What's got you? One of the best things about our phones is you can look up the screen time. Because screen time does not lie. Right? Like, we know. Like, I know, like, oh, I was probably on my phone for like an hour today, maybe. Swipe over, I'm like, oh, COVID time is different. Nine hours of screen time, you're like, ah, like it doesn't lie. And so the, here's my question, like if we're going to ask the question, what's got you, maybe let's frame it up this way and we'll come back to this later. If we were to look at the screen time of your mind, which app is open the most? What issue, what insecurity, what fear, and that little graph is like, whoa, was unaware. I thought it was only like 15 minutes today. What's got you? Because one of the most important things we need to learn is how to guard, strengthen, and renew our minds. Because the battle of our mind and for your mind is 24-7, 365 days a year. Because we have an enemy that will not stop. He knows he has lost, but he will not stop. And unlike, well, let me give you a word picture. That I'm a word picture guy. I'm a visual learner. And I want to paint a picture for you. So if there's a battle, if there's a war being waged within us, right, I think we all can agree there's a war. Right? I'm battling all these things all day long, every week, every month, every year, right, whatever it may be. There's a battle, and you're on a ship. And every morning that you wake up, you're on a ship, and it's going into battle. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to try and create a ship that looks a lot like a cruise ship. It's comfortable. It meets my needs. It's entertaining. It's easy. It's relaxing. But you're going into a battle. So what if we've been thinking about life all wrong? What if instead of a cruise ship, it's time to jump ship and get on a battleship. Because when we talk about the mind, when we look at scripture and talk about the mind, it's all about warfare. You're going to see it tonight as we walk through 1 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 10. 
The verbiage Paul is using is not cruise ship mentality. It's a battleship mentality. And the reality is, is both ships, does not matter which one you want, are going into battle every day. So the question is, what boat do you want to be on? With whom? Right? Because we bring people onto our ship with us. So, tonight we're going to talk about having the mind of Christ. That's the topic. This is what we're going to talk about. We're in our series, The Anatomy of a Christian, and tonight is the mind. We're in 1 Corinthians again, and then we'll be in 2 Corinthians. There were four letters written to the church in Corinth. We only have two of them. And if you weren't here last week, let me catch you up. Um, Paul started this church in Corinth. He spent 18 months with these people getting this church started. And he's been updated by other folks about the state of the church. And I think last week I said this church is a hot mess. Like this is the church that makes Paul pull his hair out. Like, are you kidding me? Get along. <laughs> right? Like he's getting early gray because of Corinth. Like th this is the church. And so, I, like, again, I, I feel like the church in America, we, we, we resonate here. Like <laughs> I look at Christian Twitter and I'm like, Purr! just pull my hair out. So here we are. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 12 through 16. Follow me here. Paul writes, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept these things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are, discern they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but a, such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's a lot of talk, a lot of spirit there, all right? So let me, let me dumb it down for you because this is what I need when I study the Bible. What Paul is saying is there is a way about the world, and there is a way about following Jesus, and the world does not understand following Jesus because those who are following Jesus, the Christians, right, we talked about this last week with the body. When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He makes his home in you. And so as a Christian, you have access to the Spirit of God. And so when we read scriptures, when we hear a commandment, when we feel conviction, the world doesn't feel that because the Holy Spirit is speaking a different language. Well, let me give you this, this example. Like when I was a kid, pre-cell phone days, um, our cell phone was a thing called a walkie-talkie. Um, and if you have a walkie-talkie, it means two things. One, you're cool, and two, you have power, okay? Because whoever's got the walkie-talkie is the decision-maker. Uh, and so in our neighborhood, we had walkie-talkies. We had good friends living behind us, and so they kept a walkie-talkie, and we kept a walkie-talkie. And that's how the kids communicated. Because back then, if you wanted to call somebody, you had to go into the kitchen, into a public space, pull a phone off the wall, stand there in front of your whole family and have a conversation. And when, we need a walkie-talkie, early cell phones. And so what, what you have to do on a walkie-talkie is you have to be on the same channel, right? You turn the little button on the top. You're like, all right, channel four, all right, channel four. And you hear each other. And so I think what Paul is saying here in walkie-talkie language is, as Christians, we're on the same channel with the Lord because we have the Holy Spirit. 
The world that we live in who has not submitted their life to Christ is on a different channel. And so the things that we do and the things that we say are going to sound foolish at times. Because it's just going to sound like white fuzz. Using worldly thinking to discern the things of God is like being on the wrong channel on a walkie-talkie. And so I want to answer two questions tonight. The first question is, what does having the mind of Christ mean? If we have this gift that has been given to us in the Holy Spirit, then what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? It sounds good. You're like, oh, yeah, awesome. Okay, great. Then the second question is, how do we develop the mind of Christ? How, what does it mean, and how do we develop it? And so those are the two questions we're going to answer tonight. But before we get there, let me just give one quick disclaimer. I want to be very clear on this. Because when it comes to the mind, we have to, we have to kind of uh, reset ourselves. And here's my disclaimer. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the finish line. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone that we just sang. My thoughts are not the foundation. Your thoughts are not the foundation. Because we still have a mind of this world, though we have the Holy Spirit in us. Too often I think we have the default of, well, if I'm a Christian, then what I think must be Christian. And that ain't true. It's just not. And, we'll, and I'm going to show you here in a little bit why that's not true and what the Bible has to say about it. So here's what we're going to do. So having the mind of Christ means sharing the plans, the purpose, and the perspective of Jesus. Let's walk through these. Let me say that again. Having the mind of Christ means sharing the plans, the purpose, and the perspectives of Jesus. Let's talk about the plans of Christ. Jesus had a lot of plans. God had a lot of plans. I want to pull out three that are big overarching plans of Christ. Number one is to glorify God, to bring glory to God. Uh, John 17, uh, chapter, chapter 17, verse 1, uh, right before Jesus was about to be crucified, he's, he prays what they call the high priestly prayer. And he says, Father, glorify me so that I may glorify you. His plan was to glorify God. And that word glorify is a super churchy term, so let me break it down for you. What glorify means is to make or put on display the goodness and the majesty of God. And so Jesus' life was to display the goodness and majesty of God. Though You know how the world does this? We have Super Bowl halftime shows and red carpet before every event show. That's how we glorify. We glorify ourselves. We get all dolled up, we turn on the lights, get a red carpet, and say, hey, look at me. Look how beautiful, look how talented, right? That's how we as humans, that's our world. This is how Jesus glorifies God. He died on the cross for you. Totally opposite. It was, let me display the goodness of God by paying for your sin on the cross. And in doing so, he shows the glory and the majesty and the goodness of God. The second thing he plans to do other than bring glory is to restore creation. His other plan, his next plan is to restore creation. Right? There was a garden of Eden and it was good and it was perfect. 
and without sin. And then there's this, this chunk in the middle of the Bible that's just a mess, right? And we see redemption and we see things that we're just like, how could they do that? But then you get to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5. And if there's ever a promise, like we sing, we've talked about hope, this is it for the Christian. Listen to what the author of Revelation says. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with, with uh, me, and, he, and they will dwell uh, with his and he will dwell with their people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor and all the former things have passed away. And he, Jesus, who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is the plan of God. All this stuff that we're dealing with on this world right now that's just completely hopeless. People who are dying unjustly. People who are bickering and fighting and losing loved ones. There will be no tears, no more death. Jesus said, I am making all things new. And as Christians, we join him in that effort. As Jay said, our heritage is justice. We are to love and work for the restoration of this world because that's what Jesus is doing. And so not only... Does he plan to bring glory to God and restore creation? Thirdly, he provides salvation. That's his plan. To provide salvation. 1 John 2.2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. That's the plan. To glorify God. To restore creation. And to provide salvation. That's the plan. The purposes are just as simple. Luke 19. It's the story of Zacchaeus. If you went to VBS as a kid or children's church as a kid, you heard about Zacchaeus, the wee little man that everybody hated because he's a tax collector and he stole money from people. And Jesus saw him and said, hey, I'm having lunch at your house. And this is what he told Zacchaeus. He said, Jesus, in Luke 19.10, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, I, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. That's his purpose. His plan, this is his purpose. And in the perspective of Christ, and this is where it gets hard, guys. This is battleship mentality, all right? I'm not taking you down the cruise ship when we're going into battle. That's crazy town. So this is hard. Battleship is hard. There is a war to be waged. Thirdly, the perspective of Christ. This is the hard work. Having the perspective of Christ. Let me get to that in a minute, but let me tell you a quick story. Having the perspective of Christ is difficult, and this is why. I see this every day. I've seen it every day for the last three and a half months. Because I've been dealing with conflict resolution for three and a half months. Because I have five children. 
and they are together every day, all day, with nothing to do. The zoo is closed, the parks are closed, the science museum is closed, everything is closed. And they're together, and they fight, and they bicker. And what Taylor and I have found is that 90% of conflict resolution is pleading with my children to see the situation from the other person's perspective. And they cannot do it. They can't do it. They have their perspective. And so this is the hard part. It sounds good to have the perspective of Christ, but this is hard because we have a perspective and we have it for a reason. We believe it is true and it is best for us. And so the perspective of Christ is what we listen to, is what we have to conform to. Philippians 2.5.8 tells us that the perspective of Christ is humility and obedience. Obedience to death on a cross. Jesus' perspective is compassion. Matthew 9.36. He saw them and he had compassion on them. And then in Luke 5.16... His perspective was a prayerful dependence on the Father. Luke 5, 16, it says, He go went away often alone to pray. That's the perspective. It's the mindset that sees and hears and, and evaluates the world through the perspective of Christ. And that's hard to do. Because you've been raised a certain way. You have certain belief systems and it's hard to come to God's word and fully say, God, change my perspective to be your perspective. Help me to see people the way you see people. Help me see this situation the way you see this situation. That's hard. But if we're going to go into battle, we need to listen to our general. Because he sees the whole battlefield. And he has given us his word to walk us through. So now let's turn from answering the question of what is the mind of Christ to how do we develop the mind of Christ. And to that, let's go to 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 3 through 5. We're going to start here and then we're going to launch into some other scriptures, but this is what we're going to kick off here for a moment. Again, Paul's writing to this church. They're dealing with problems. They're dealing with uh, fighting, infighting, sexual immorality, all kinds of craziness. They're wanting to know Paul's, uh, his credentials, like, are you good enough to, to teach us and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's just crazy time. He says this, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension or pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Look at the verbiage here. Wage war, weapons, fight, demolish, captive. Those are words of war. And when it comes to our mind... The enemy is not going to give up this, this easily. Like this is what, if he can get this, he's got you. And so he's not going to give up. And I love that Paul talks about it this way. It's not like, hey, guys, let's try and do this a little bit better. No, he's like, let's wage war. Let's fight. Let's set the captives free, right? And so let's walk through this. Number one, how do we develop a mind uh, of Christ? It means that we, number one, destroy strongholds. 
by taking every thought captive and making it obedient. That word captive means to, to, to control, to conquer, to bring into submission to. All right, so we are to take every thought and, and make it submissive to Christ. And that word obedient means the same thing, to, to be submitted. So not only are we to take our thoughts and submit them to the truth of God's word, but we are to take ourselves and submit them at the foot of the cross. Because a stronghold is just a fortress. That's not a word we use very often. It's just, it literally means like a castle or a fortress. All right, but Paul isn't talking about a physical fortress, but uh, about, he's talking about destructive patterns of thought, the mind. Thoughts like worry and a need for approval and the need to be right all the time, the need to experience pleasure, the, 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 the need to, to fight insecurities. He's talking about patterns of thought that lead people astray and hold them hostage to a sinful, harmful, and addictive behavior. Because, guys, the real, the real deal is that Satan's strategy is to block the knowledge of God. He would love nothing more than for you to never read your Bible. If he can do that, he's won. Because something will fill our minds. If he can block you, if he can convince you you're not much of a reader, then if we don't read, then we don't have the knowledge of God, we don't know who Jesus is, we don't know his perspective, his plans, or his purposes. And what we do is we come to a church and we sit in a room and then we say, well, I'm, I'm a churchgoer, I'm a Christian, so therefore my thoughts are what God's plan is. Like that's that slippery slope. But Satan would love to not only block, but then if he can't block you, then at least what he wants to do is keep you from applying God's word in your actual life. To actually read his word, hear a sermon, study in a small group, and actually apply it. By picking apart the style of the teacher or the, the worship or the church or whatever. We pick apart all these things to give us a reason not to do what, what we just heard. It's not my style. It's not my preference. When it comes to strongholds, I read an article by a guy named Rick Warren. He's a pastor out in California. And he said that strongholds come down to two categories. A worldview that we hold whether that's a materialism or a hedonism or all the isms that you have out there, right? It's a, it's a worldview. It's how you see the world. Or it's an attitude. Maybe it's an attitude of worry or anxiety, approval or control or loneliness, or maybe a timeline that isn't lining up with your timeline. They're strongholds. And if, if you have an unhealthy behavior, that's present in your life, and let's just switch out the word unhealthy with an addictive behavior that you just keep going back to and back to and back to, and you're Paul in chapter 7, you're like, why do I keep doing this? I don't want to do this, but I always, I, what is going on? If you have an addictive behavior or an unhealthy pattern of addiction, that is not the stronghold. That is the fruit of the stronghold. And that is why behavior modification alone does not work. It's like trying to chop down an apple tree by picking the apples. It's going to grow again. And so you got to figure out what is the stronghold. What is the fortress that is formed in your mind, a belief system or a lie or whatever it may be. Like growing up for me, the stronghold was behavior. If I'm just a good kid, 
I mean, I'm a good Christian. Because people will like me and adults will give me praise. And so that was my stronghold. I just, everything I did was good behavior, good behavior, good, don't get in trouble. I didn't do it out of a love and affection for Jesus. I did it out of a love and affection for me. Because that's what strongholds do. You think you're doing it for this reason, but really we're just doing it for us. And so the behavior is just the fruit of the stronghold. And so we need to dissect our behavior. We need to reverse engineer our behavior to figure out what the stronghold is. I want to give you a fill in the blank. I didn't put it on the screen, but here's what it is. What am I believing that is leading me to blank? Fill it in. What am I really believing that leads me to this behavior? That's your stronghold. And what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is that strongholds can be destroyed. Not by a self-help book, but by the knowledge of God. Who he is, what his plans are, what his perspective is, and what his purpose is for your life. It is the knowledge of God that destroys strongholds. Not you trying harder. Believe me, I've been down that road. Number two. We develop the mind of Christ by not believing everything you think or everything that you feel. I know, I know. But Annie, like my heart is, is so genuine when I think this, right? Like my motive is so pure. Like it can't be wrong. I told you I was going to get to some scriptures about what the Bible says about the nature of our mind apart from Christ. The mind of man. Because let's be honest, we naturally feel that if we think something, it must be true because it comes from within us. Our culture tells us that the solution is a you and is you in a better situation. No, 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 no. That that jumps the whole part of sin. That we have something in us that just ain't right. And unfortunately, as we get older, it just gets bigger because we have more baggage and more hurt and more wounds. And if left by itself, it will fester. I can go on a whole conversation about confession and repentance here, but you've heard it before. We'll get to it another day. All right. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right. Like, I'm not saying that you are willfully and knowingly, like, I'm going to walk through my life making terrible choices. Like, no one does that. No one wakes up tomorrow and be like, hmm, how can I screw up my life today? Hey, how can I get uh, engaged in a, in, a, in a behavior that's going to build into an addiction that will ruin my marriage? No one wakes up that way. Because there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death. And so we have to not believe everything you think. I've got a slide for this. Here's, what, here's just a few scriptures about what the Bible describes as the mind of man. Deuteronomy, it says the, the mind is confused. In Job, 
17 says the mind is anxious and closed. In Ecclesiastes, the mind is evil and restless. In Leviticus and Isaiah, it says the mind is rash and deluded. Second Kings, a troubled mind, a depraved mind, a sinful mind, a dull mind, a blinded mind, and a corrupt mind. And if I'm really honest with you, as a 43-year-old father of five, lived a little bit longer than you have, I would say yes and amen to that. Because I know me. I know me. And left to my own thoughts, like we just get caught in the tornado of shame. That's what we do. And so the mind of Christ is our goal. And so in doing so, to develop that, we can't believe everything that we think or feel. Number three, the next step in developing a mind of Christ is, to, is removing and replacing. Right? Garbage, we got to get the garbage out and we got to get the good stuff in. Removing and replacing. Proverbs 15, 14 says, A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. Like this is that, this, this is the, Proverbs 15, 14 is what you put on a sticky note, slap it next to your TV. Trash in, garbage will come out. Right, this is, like this is our entertainment verse. What do we go to for entertainment? Like there's a reason they call it trash TV. It has zero redeemable value. Another way of saying those, like this, <laughs> this is McDonald's for all of us. No one admits they eat at McDonald's. No one admits it. But they serve like 8 billion people a day. You're laughing because it's, you know. You know. You're like, oh, I'll just swing through. No one will see me. And then when you do see someone, you're like, oh, gosh. Right? Because you know it's trash. You know, and you're like, I'm a, I want them to think I'm a wise person who makes wise and good choices. A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will not have a part of it. Like he's drawn a line in the sand. He's not like, hey, I'm going to dance with it. I'm going to dabble with it. He's like, no, I will have no part of it. Because if you fill your mind with the right things, you will grow in the right ways. But the opposite is also true. If you fill your mind with trash, then it will produce more trash. So when we remove those things from our life, we need to replace it with something. And so what does Paul say there in Philippians 4.8? He encourages the church in Philippi. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. So there's your filter. If we're going to develop the mind of Christ, we take the things that we are allowing into our mind and run them through Philippians 4.8 filter. Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it garbage? 
or is it valuable? Ephesians 6, what do we replace it with? The sword of the Spirit. Right here. I think we have a lost art when it comes to the Bible, and that is the the art of memorization. I was challenged in April when we said, hey, we're going to memorize 1 Peter chapter 1 together as a ministry. And i got to be honest, it was a lot harder than I thought it would be because I was out of shape. It, was, it had been a long time since I had memorized a large chunk. Got a lot of verses, but a large chunk. It's hard. But Ephesians 6 says that this thing right here is the sword of the Spirit. That same Spirit that indwells you. That same Spirit that teaches you the mind of Christ. This is the sword. And I think too many of us are that little kid who's like four years old trying to pick up a 50-pound sword. And we're like, Ugh, why isn't this working? Because we haven't trained ourselves. We haven't built up the muscles to use the sword to fight the battles of our mind. And therefore, we're getting worked over every day. Feed what you want to grow and starve what you want to die. Remove and replace. Feed what you want to grow and starve what you want to die. Number four. I'm only doing five. If we're going to develop the mind of Christ, we need to be living and linking up with like-minded people. We need to be living and linking up with like-minded people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 13, 14, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Like, this is, this is the whole community piece. Like, you got to get around people who are on the same battleship going to the same battle that you are. The easy thing is to get on the cruise ship. It's way more popular. But this is where we find a small group. This is where we find those gals and those guys, and we lock arms with them and say, let's go to war. Because you're all going for the same purpose. You're going in the same direction. I got my hair cut today for you guys. Got my beard trimmed. Had a great conversation with my barber, Clayton. He comes to the gathering every once in a while. I love Clayton. We have good, deep conversations over a haircut. And he gave me a great, we were, I always kind of run some material by him. Um, and he said this. I thought it was really good, so I'm going to share it. So, Clayton, if you're watching, thank you. He said, you know, if you want, if, if you have a slouching problem and you want to get a straighter back, you got to make some choices to do that. And he said, but you know what would be really helpful is to find some friends with fantastic posture. Because when you're like this and they're all like this, it's going to be a whole lot more helpful. You're going to be reminded more often. They're going to remind you, hey, sit up. Straighten up. Because they care about posture. I'm like, that makes sense. I literally told Clay, I'm like, that'll preach. And it just did. So... Here's the deal. We need to be living and linking up with like-minded people. Like you think you can wage war by yourself? Good luck. Romans 7 will be your story. Defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. And eventually you'll quit fighting. Got to lock arms. Link up. 
Let me just take a side note here. When you do that, it sounds really good. But one of the most um, heartbreaking things to me is when people say, yes, I want, I want accountability. I want to get in there. I want people to speak into my life. And then when people speak into their life, they don't listen. They walk away. I'm like, well, that, no, I, no, that, I don't, no, that's not who I am. Like we're inviting people in. And it takes a lot of humility for someone to say, hey, thank you for telling me what I don't want to hear. Because I don't want to hear that I'm a jerk. I don't want to hear that I'm selfish. I don't want to hear that I've got a stronghold in this area. I don't want to hear that. But that's the truth. And if we're going to fight the battle, don't you want to hear the truth? It doesn't help the soldiers to tell them non-truths. you got to know where the enemy is and how to defeat the enemy. Proverbs 27, 17, one of my favorite Verses ever, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Guys, sharpening a knife never sounds good. It doesn't feel good either. If you've ever been around metal on metal, fingers on a chalkboard, it is a rough sound. But you know what? It makes the knife sharper and more useful and it lasts longer. So we sharpen the knives for one another. Number five, we develop a mind of Christ by daily leaning into Jesus. By daily leaning into Jesus. Because every day, our sinful nature rallies. Every hour, every Friday night, our sinful nature rallies against our purpose of knowing God and making him known. Right? There's that part of like, why do I do the things I don't want to do? It rallies. It gets a good night's sleep like you do. And it comes out swinging. John 15, 5. Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you and you will bear much fruit. We need to daily lean into Jesus. We need to learn hard, how to hard live and lean hard into Christ. Let me ask this question. Are you leaning on Christ in such a way that if he was taken away that you would fall over? Or would you notice any difference? Like if, you, if your Bible was taken away from you, would it make a difference in your life? If we're going to win the battle, we need to lean hard on the general. My favorite character in Band of Brothers is Captain Winners. Because throughout the 10 episodes of Band of Brothers, they get into some crazy stuff. Man, World War II is crazy. There's a lot of confusion and a lot of death and a lot of fear. But here's the thing. As someone who's watching this show, every time Captain Winners comes in to the frame, my heart goes, okay, it's going to be okay. Because he's smart. He's a great tactician. The boys are going to be okay. <laughs> That's Jesus on a cosmic level. He is the one who sees the battlefield. In fact, he is the one who has already won the war. So why would we not lean into Jesus? Why would we not open his word and devour it to know his plan, to know his purpose, and to know his perspectives? I know why I didn't do it, because I trust myself too much. And I get busy. And I sleep in. I push the snooze button too many times. But guys, if we're going to go into battle, 
you got to have a word every day to march into it. We sang a song, I think it was King of My Heart, where it says, uh, help me, Jay, like, set up your sail, like, raise your sail or something like that. All right? I honestly love that song, but it's not my notes. So, but here's the deal. Every morning you raise your sail and something's going to push that boat. It's either going to be the lies of this world and the culture of this world, or it is going to be Jesus and the spirit that lives inside of you. Something is going to blow wind into your sail tomorrow morning. Let this be what blows wind into your sail and it moves your boat in the right direction, in the right way, with the right people, to the right end. So, what do we do with this? I got three things as usual. We're going to put them on the screen and then we're going to go into 120 seconds if you're new with us. We just finished the evening with 120 seconds just to think, to pray on what you've heard. Just to ask God, like, all right, God, do some work here. So here's what I want to ask you. Number one, where do you need to bring your plans, your purposes, and perspectives into alignment with Christ? And maybe you're like, Andy, I don't know. Like, then, then write down your plans. What are, you, what, what are your plans for your life? And then you take them and you match them up against Scripture and say, do they align? Take the purposes of why you do stuff. Why are you working? Why are you going there? Why are you hanging out here? Why? Like, why? What are the purposes? Write it down. I'm, I'm doing this because of this. All right, does that match Scripture? Like tracing paper, right? You throw it up against the image and you trace it. Where do you need to bring your plans, purposes, and perspectives into alignment with Christ? Number two, what's dominating the screen time of your mind? If there were a screen on your phone that you could swipe over, and it would tell you a time stamp and little graphs every day, all day, what app, what fear, what insecurity, what desire, what stronghold is dominating you? And it consumes your mind. And it may not be a bad thing, but if it's dominating you, it ain't a good thing. Because it might be materialism. It might be hedonism. It might be loneliness. It might be a desire for a relationship. It might be that the timeline of your life isn't working out the way you thought it would. And you cannot stop thinking about how it's failing. What's the stronghold that needs to be destroyed by the knowledge of God? And then lastly, it's not a super bright question, but what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Tomorrow morning, we are all going to wake up in the same world that we came in today. And you're going to choose a ship. And it's either going to be a cruise ship that is focused around ease and comfort and pleasure and good times. Or you're going to jump on the battleship and say, God, give me the mind of Christ. That I would live a life pleasing to you. Because guys, the, <laughs> the victory in this battle is life and life to the full. 
let me tell you something that I, th- this is a stronghold I believed for way, way, way too long. All right, I believed, and this is why I would walk in sin. All right, my sin informed my stronghold, and the stronghold was this. God is withholding from you. He's angry with you. You have not earned it yet. That's crazy town. That's the first lie Satan even tried. God gave him every tree in the garden. He said, but do not eat from this one. And what did Satan say? He didn't say, wow, look how benevolent and generous God is to give you every tree in the garden. No, no, no. He pointed out the one that they didn't get. God's withholding from you. That was my stronghold for a long, 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 long time. And I lived my life out of a belief that I wasn't good enough, God was angry at me, whatever it is. And so I used that stronghold. It just just got a hold of me. So God's like, "This this, this this is the Christian life. I wish it were a cruise ship. But Revelation 21 says one day the cruise ship will happen. And there will be no more tears. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more death. There will be no mourning. Because he is making all things new. And so my question to you, I guess, tonight is not only is what is your stronghold, but what are you waiting for? Let's go to work. Let's go to battle for our mind and for our life and for the life of those around us who are going in the same direction. So I'm going to leave those up on the screen. Let me pray. God, thank you uh, for this evening. Thank you for your word. God, it, it does blow my mind that you gave us a body and you gave us a mind. Like, I don't get it. But what I do get is that you desire for our body and for our mind to glorify you. To put your goodness and to put your majesty on display. So God, I pray that you would help us. Holy Spirit, convict us and show us what are the strongholds, what are the lies we believe that are dominating us? What are the plans that I have that I've made up on my own that I've sprinkled a little Jesus on to make myself feel better? God, help us to take the bold steps of denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following you. And praise things in your name. Amen.